You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. perfectly sure that it's the Lord's will that when we step into a ministry and any work that we might do for the Lord, I don't care from greeting to child care to Sunday school, I don't care what it is. We need to be sure that it's the Lord's calling that we're doing that. As we study these four verses, it's my hope. No, it's my prayer that we will find some simple principles that we can use as we grow in our understanding of God's calling upon our lives. That's my prayer today. Have you ever been unsure of God's calling in your life? Are there times when you hear God's voice, but ignore it anyways? Today, Pastor Dave wants you to know that you must always turn to God first when you're planning your future. His plans will always serve you best. Seek after God's will in everything you do. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 12 as he begins his message. Separate to me. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts. We're going to begin in chapter 12, verse 25, and we are going to read the first four verses of chapter 13. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there was certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Caesarea, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus speaks his last words before ascending into heaven when he tells his disciples this very, very famous quote, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This becomes the theme of the entire book of Acts. We have seen the apostles and the new believers, after they were empowered by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, become witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem. We also study these new believers, after they were scattered by, because of the great persecution, they took with them the gospel message. And they became witnesses of Jesus in Judea and Samaria. Today, in this new section that we're beginning, we're going to see this new church that was started, armed with only the gospel message and how they spread the good news to the ends of the earth. They're going to use a handful of missionaries who are called by God, who were separated by the Holy Spirit, and who were sent out by the new Gentile church. You know, when you read Scripture, 
many, many places in Scripture, it talks about men and women being called of the Lord and being separated for works that he has preordained for them to do. The word separate in this context means to appoint or to call into a particular service. It should be on the heart of every Christian to follow after the perfect will of God. Every Christian should want to know what God's perfect will is for his life. We have his perfect will in front of us, his revealed will in the word of God. This is right here. And through it, we can glean from it what the Lord would have us to do. Each of us should know if we're called by God, and if so, what has God called us to do? Do you know what the perfect will of God is for your life? Does the Lord have a specific call upon your life? You know, some believe that not all are called for a specific purpose, while others believe that every one of us who call ourselves Christians are called by God to do something. I believe it's the duty of every Christian to find out if indeed the Lord has placed a call upon your life. I think it's our duty to find out if that call is real or not. With this in mind, as we enter into this new section of the book of Acts, we want to discover if God's called us. And there are many great lessons that we can learn from these next pages that we're going to be going on for the next several weeks and possibly even a year. But as you mature, you will begin to understand whether or not there is a genuine call upon your life. And this may be difficult for those of you who are new believers to grasp. Because I didn't understand what it meant to be called of God. I had no idea of what it meant to be called by a living God into a ministry. I didn't understand what that meant. But we should want to know whether the call in our life is genuine or not. And we use scripture to tell us. We use the word of God. We use the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to see happening today. In the verses that we're going to study today, Barnabas and Saul come back. And we see them again as they head back to Antioch. But these two guys are going to be asked to leave their comfort zones. They're going to ask to head to a foreign country, and they're going to ask to take the good news of Jesus Christ with them. They're going to be separated by the Holy Spirit and sent off by the church. Since they're going to foreign countries... They really need to know if the Lord is sending them or not. They really need to be sure. So from the scriptures today, we can see how they were sure, and we can see how we might be sure that the Lord is sending us. We need to be sure that the Lord is sending us when we step into a ministry. We need to be perfectly sure that it's the Lord's will that when we step into a ministry and any work that we might do for the Lord, I don't care from greeting to child care to Sunday school, I don't care what it is. We need to be sure that it's the Lord's calling that we're doing that. As we study these four verses, it's my hope. No, it's my prayer that we will find some simple principles that we can use as we grow in our understanding of God's calling upon our lives. That's my prayer today. Another confusing thing is chapter 13 actually begins at the end of chapter 12. Now, remember, there were no divisions, there were no chapters, there were no verses. They were placed there much later for us to use. This was a scroll, and it was all one, basically, letter to Theophilus. But chapter 13 skips chapter 12 completely and picks up where chapter 11 left off. It's as if chapter 12 was a parenthesis in the book of Acts. Because you'll see, we're going to go back to chapter 11 and then move right in to chapter 12, 25, and into chapter 13. All those things that we studied for the last couple of weeks, it's as if they were just in parentheses. It's almost like I picture, you ever go to a, a drama 
and the lead character is up there, and all of a sudden, they move over here, and they start talking to either themselves or to you. It's called an aside, where they come off of the main theme, and they just talk. Well, that's what I think happened in chapter 12. As important and encouraging as it was, I got a lot out of chapter 12. I really, really enjoyed chapter 12. And we gleaned from it a lot of information about prayer and how we should pray and what prayer should look like. And we really had a good time with it. But it didn't follow the flow of the book of Acts. So to me, it was just an aside. But nothing in God's word is wasted. Nothing in God's word. Everything is there for a purpose. And for some of you who have accepted the Lord recently, That was the purpose that we spent those times in Acts 12. That was the purpose that God touched your heart during those things. So that's pretty cool when you look at that. So we're going to follow the historical account. And we're going to begin, if you will go back to chapter 11, we're going to read the last two verses in chapter 11. This is where we're going to begin. In chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. It says, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they did also, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Remember Barnabas and Saul spent a year in Antioch teaching and exhorting the flock? That was what chapter 11 ended with. Remember there was also a famine that was prophesied by Abagus the prophet? The church of Antioch, saw a great need in their brethren in Jerusalem. They took up a collection. We have no idea what that collection was. We assume it it could be money, but it could have been goods. It could have been food because it says famine. But they took up relief. And they said, we need to send this to Jerusalem. And they took Barnabas and Saul and sent them to Jerusalem with this relief. As we move now over to Acts 12.25, It picks up that story. And here we see Barnabas and Saul now having delivered the relief coming back to Antioch. Look what it says in Acts 12, 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname is Mark. So when we're looking for simple principles that we can look to see whether or not God has placed a calling upon our lives, I see the first principle in this verse. And the first principle is they were already serving the Lord. They were already in service. And by the way, if you're keeping notes, everyone will begin with the letter S. So they're serving in ministry. They're already serving in ministry. These men had been faithful to the task that they'd been given, and they were gladly serving. In fact, the Scripture says they had fulfilled their ministry. They had fulfilled the task of taking the relief to Jerusalem, and now they've come back to Antioch, which is the home church. They didn't just decide one day to sit up and go, you know what, we're going to leave and go on a missions trip. Yeah, yeah, that's what we'll do. Let's go and leave. That just didn't happen. It was a long process but they were already faithfully serving in that capacity. They were also serving. They were in full-time ministry. If you're in full-time ministry, if you're going to the mission field, there's no place to start learning about the ministry when you get out there. It's not the time to learn about ministry once you're out there. Trust me. Way too often, disaster strikes when the church sends out a rookie to a mission field or to a place them in ministry when they've never served in their local church. They have no idea what they're doing and they're out there. The Apostle Paul warns Timothy of this in 1 Timothy 5.22. Don't lay hands on someone hastily. 
In other words, don't bring somebody up into the ministry too fast. Allow their deeds to show and their motives and everything to show. The word minister actually means servant. That's what the word minister means. Someone in ministry is a servant, both serving the Lord and serving his people. The want to serve is usually a result of hearing the word of God and growing in your faith. As you study and as you grow, and as you listen and learn, your faith becomes and starts to expand, and you have this need to serve. You have this need to be involved in ministry. It's an outpouring of your faith growing in the Lord. It's just a natural outpouring of what's happening in your life. You sit there for a long time, and you're getting fed with the Word of God, and you're getting fat on the Word of God, and all of a sudden you go, I need to do something. I need to serve. Well, that's the Holy Spirit in you after you've read the Word of God, heard the Word of God. Now you're ready to go. You're ready to be in ministry. You're ready to serve in some capacity. For the Christian, I believe service is a way of life, not a job. I believe service is a way of life. You know, you've heard the expression, bloom where you're planted. What does that mean? That means that as you grow in the Lord, you begin serving him right where you are. Right where you are. So many people think, well, you know what? When I become a minister, I'm going to do this. Or when I become an evangelist, I'm going to do that. Or, or when I do this, you know, no, no, no. You begin serving right where you are as you grow in the Lord. It may be in your local church. It may be in the most treacherous battlefield at all, your home. It may be at work. It may be at school. It may be wherever you go. But that's where you begin serving. Because the one in you, you want to bless others as you've been abundantly blessed. You want to give back to the Lord in some way because you've been so blessed by his word. You've been built up and so encouraged by his word. It's a natural outpouring of the Holy Spirit in you. It comes supernaturally natural. It becomes by a part of our life. This is what service is, and we want to do that. So ministry or service becomes a way of life. We serve because we've been blessed abundantly by the Lord, and we want to bless others. We serve the Lord as we serve others. We're serving the Lord in his name. We don't serve out of guilt. We don't serve out of pressure. But we serve through the power of the Holy Spirit as we give of ourselves freely and we give of ourselves honestly. Are there things keeping you from service? Are there things keeping you from ministry? It's interesting that one of my favorite Bible expositors, his name is David Gusick. He says, you really can't say yes to God's call in your life until you say no to the things that are keeping you back. Let me read that again. You really can't say yes to God's call in your life until you say no to the things that are keeping you back. We should check ourselves, see that there's things holding us back from serving, and what are they? So Barnabas and Saul were serving in the ministry. The next thing I see is that they were seated with the saints. You get the S here? They were serving in ministry, and I see them seated with the saints. Let's look at Acts 13, verse 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain prophet and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Look at the diversity of saints in the church at Antioch. Look at the diversity. You had Barnabas, who's the son of encouragement. There was Simeon called Niger, now, it's real interesting here because Simeon is a form of Simon, and every scholar that I check believes that this Simeon or Simon was the one who carried Jesus' cross in Luke 23, 26. All scholars agree that this is who he was. Maybe. 
Doesn't say, it just gives us his name, Simeon. The next person is Lucius, who was also from Serene, and he may have been one of the founding fathers of the church at Antioch, because if you look at Acts 11, verse 20, it said, men from Serene came and founded the church. Again, doesn't say. And then there was Manian. Manian was a foster brother to none other than Herod Antipas. He was the one who cut off John the Baptist's head. Remember last week when we had a discussion about the murderous Herods? And we said how murderous and how very vile they were? Well, here, this guy grew up in that atmosphere, and the Lord rescued him out of it. And now he's a member of the new church. I love it. And then, of course, you know the story of Paul, because we talked about it in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. What a contrast of individuals. But this is how the local body is. This is a local body. Unity and diversity. Why do I say that? Because we all come from different walks of life. We all come from different home backgrounds. We all come from different nationalities. We're all different ages. We're all different things. But we have a commonality. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our commonality. Our commonality is we've been born again into a living hope in Jesus Christ, and we are common, and that's our commonality in Christ is where our position is as we've been studying on Wednesday night, and that's what we have in common. For we are now one in the body of Christ. We're all one together in Christ, and we have that commonality. It's pretty cool. We are all brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're closer sometimes than blood families. The closeness of the Holy Spirit is incredible when you think about it. But this is straight from Acts 2.42. Barnabas and Saul were part of a local body. They worshiped together. They communed together. They broke bread together. They studied the word of God together. It says they were seated in the saints. What does this mean? It means they weren't mavericks. It means they weren't out doing their own thing. It means they were part of a body of believers and they were serving the Lord. They were seated under what? They were seated under authority, the authority of the church. They submitted themselves to the elders of the church and to the leaders ordained by God to be overseers of the flock, under shepherds, if you will. They weren't out there doing their own thing. They were submitted to the authority of the church. This is majorly important. One cannot go out on their own apart from the church speaking new things. This becomes dangerous. Those who step out and serve should have a group of believers praying for them, encouraging them, and helping them along. We should be ones pushing them and leading them. We should be willing to encourage those who want to step out. What a pleasure it is to see someone grow in the Lord that way, into maturity, and to be sent into the confidence of the church. There's great confidence there. So, so far we've seen these men were serving in ministry, and they were seated with the saints. The next thing we see is that they were seeking the Lord. They were seeking the Lord. Look at Acts 13, verse 2a. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Here we see another aspect to consider regarding seeking the will of the Lord for your life. It's exemplified here that these men were worshipers of Jesus Christ. What I love about this, it says they were ministering to the Lord. Most of us want to sit around and let the Lord minister to us. These guys were ministering to the Lord. They were worshiping him in spirit and truth. They were worshiping with their entire beings. Found a really neat verse in Ezekiel 44, 15. It says, but the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord. In John Corson's commentary, he says that this shows him 
that the eyes of the Lord and the most important ministry is not ministering for the Lord, but ministering to the Lord. The most important ministering we have is ministering to the Lord. So many times we get caught up in ministering for the Lord. I got to do this for the Lord, for the Lord. Where's your time spent before the Lord? Where's your time spent ministering to him in worship, ministering to him in praise, ministering to him in song, in adoration, in prayer? The church ministered together during their time of worship. They ministered to the Lord. You know, every Sunday we come in here, Every Wednesday night we come in here and the very first thing we do is we have song. I hate to break the news for you, but this is an entertainment. It's not a time of entertainment. It's a time for you to draw close to the Lord. It's a time for you to allow the Lord bless you. It's a time for you to, to stand or sit before a most holy, righteous God and allow him to wash you, to cleanse you, to do whatever he needs to do in your body, to allow the Holy Spirit to work within you during that time. Because it's during that time, many times, that the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and tell you things and show you things. It's a time of drawing close to the Lord because you're in his presence. It's a time to speak to him in songs of praise and songs of adoration. We want to limit the distractions because we're before a holy and righteous God. I don't want anything to interrupt your time with God. I don't want anything to bother you. I don't want you to be sitting there thinking, well, what should I do here? What should I do there? No, I want you concentrating on our God. We put the words of the word so that you can sing the songs. And as you mouth the words, you'll see a lot of them are scripture. Scripture put the music. And as you mouth these words, you're reciting scripture. We're singing love songs to our Lord. We're singing praises to a most holy God. Jesus, worthy is the lamb. I mean, we sang that this morning. What a wonderful thing to say to your God. It's a time of worship. It's so important. It's not just preparation for me. It's a time that you spend with you and the most holy God one-on-one as he ministers to you and you minister back to him. What an important time we have. Our focus should be on him and nothing else. This is why we want to limit distractions in the church. This is why we want to keep things down so it's quiet. What do you do in between songs? What do you do when they're getting ready for a new song, when there's a, where there's a little prelude? Do you sit there and think about the phone call you have to make? Do you think about the turkey dinner that you have to cook? What are you thinking about? You should be using that time to commune with your God. You should be using that time to sit before a most holy, righteous God and commune with him during those times. When, once you get to know the songs, a lot of people sing with their eyes closed. Why? Because they're communing with God. It's a time of communication with God. You see people raise their hand. Why? Because they're worshiping their God, their Lord. And they want to explain that through song and praise and through raising of hands, which is quite scriptural. It's quite scriptural. They're worshiping him. It's a time of quiet devotion between you and your Lord. It's not just passing time. It's not 20 minutes before the word. It's so important that we realize this. And this takes time. This takes time for you to realize. Maybe as a new believer, you don't understand why we do what we do, these kind of songs. I remember when my wife went back to the church and she first started, she didn't want to go for worship. She didn't understand it. She really didn't want it. She didn't like it. Now she loves it. Now she can't do without it. But you grow into that. You understand the responsibilities that you have. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope.